everyone wants peace. This is why we choose to be around or not be around certain people. This is why we choose certain types of entertainment or why we enjoy atmospheres that are soothing and calming like a spa with soft music and bubbling water. <laughs> Life naturally brings stressors and we are subconsciously always pursuing the balance and the safety that peace brings. In today's episode, I'm gonna provide you with simple tools to defeat stress and anxiety, which are at an all-time high right now, and find a renewed sense of peace no matter what life may throw at you. So let's dive in. Hi, and you're listening to Java with Jen with your host, Jenilee Samuel. Oh my gosh, before we dive into the episode, I had to make sure to share this exciting news with you that Java with Jen officially has a merch line and a coffee line. Holla! You can go grab a snuggly sweatshirt, a trendy graphic tee, and a super cool coffee mug to go with your delicious, organic, and naturally sourced coffee from Didami Coffee, who have so generously partnered with me for our coffee line. There are multiple styles in the merch store, which will give you something inspirational and on trend to wear every day of the week, <clears throat> designed by yours truly. And there are workout clothes, phone cases, mugs, so many options, as well as a dark and medium roast coffee. So much goodness, you do not want to miss this. That's at javawithgenmerch.com, javawithgenmerch.com. Go check it out. And if you order something, throw it in your stories on social media and tag me so we can see what you're loving. That's javawithgenmerch.com. Go check it out. Today's episode was the result of me just praying and asking the Lord what's on his heart for my listeners, and this is what he brought me to. So I really want you to listen. I feel like this is not just going to be useful and encouraging, but I really feel like it's a word from the Lord, which means it's going to be ultra empowering in your life, and there will be a grace to, to pursue this. So I wanted to share a story with you. When I went to Russia in 2005 and 2007, but specifically 2005, we went and it was a beautiful country. Man, we landed and we were going to bring some relief and some supplies to this orphanage that we had adopted. And so we got all packed. And now when you bring supplies to another country on mission trips, typically you're going to have massive amounts of suitcases to bring all this stuff, right? We just have more access to things in the U.S. So I remember I was like three months pregnant and I remember we had these like the biggest suitcases you could get and check on an airplane. They were massive. I probably get it curled up inside of them. And we each had two big suitcases plus whatever little carry-ons or or backpacks or whatever that we had. And I think I might have even had like a duffel bag tossed over the top. I mean, it was so much luggage. It was a little stressful just even trying to get through the airport because everybody had this much luggage. So it's not like anybody could help you with your luggage, right? So we're, we get to Russia. We board the plane. It's like a 10-hour flight or something crazy. We were on the plane forever. And so just getting out of baggage claim is like such a hustle with these suitcases that are almost as big as you, right? And so we're getting to Moscow. We landed at 7.30 in the morning in Moscow. Now in another country, A, you don't understand the language. So picking up cues of what to do in certain environments already is a little slower. So we get to the airport and it's like mass chaos everywhere. The drivers, they don't follow lines on roads. (laughs) 
like we do here. I just remember drivers were driving everywhere. People were screaming, horns were honking. It was nuts. And we had all this luggage. And I just remember hating my suitcases. I was like reminding myself to leave suitcases are for the children. It's for the children. It's okay. But it literally took my anxiety so much higher because I couldn't even walk down the hall without literally running over people. If it got heavy, I'd have to stop and take a break. I moved slower. It was, it felt complicated. It made getting from point A to point B so complicated. It was messy. When we got to check in, if we were overweight, we had to rip open our suitcases and of course, We're chasing down our airplane, trying to not be late, rip open suitcases, try to maneuver things around to get the weight just right. Y'all, it's exhausting, right? You guys have traveled with lots of suitcases before, I'm sure. And it's so exhausting. So then we get to Moscow and we were there for the whole day. 7.30 we arrived, but our train didn't leave until like 11 o'clock at night. So we were touring Moscow the whole day. Thankfully, we had rented a bus and we could keep all of our luggage in the back of the bus while we moved around the city. So that made it so much easier to enjoy the city, go wherever we wanted. We were just light on our feet, right? We didn't have all these suitcases everywhere. So we get to the train station and this is where it gets stressful. Our our bus could only go so close to the train station. So we had to haul this luggage through the city for like, I don't know, a mile or something. And then we get to the train station and the horn is blaring and you've only got from when the train lands to when the train leaves, I think it was maybe a five or 10 minute window. It was very brief. So we had to haul all our suitcases, a whole team of like 15 of us, get to the train, unload everything, try to figure out where to get it. And then some of them couldn't go underneath. They had to go in the, in the cart with us. So we haul these massive, now I've got two massive suitcases and a backpack and a duffel bag. And I'm trying to get up this narrow hallway that's barely wider than me to get up in the train, climb up these stairs, turn around, pick it up, pick it up. Drive. I mean, you, you can imagine. So we finally get into these rooms and you guys, there's four of us in an overnight sleeper room on this train car. And y'all, it is literally the smallest space I've ever seen. I was, I kind of started to panic because I was like, how are we even going to fit all our suitcases in here? But there was like four beds. And so I was like, are we going to sleep on our suitcases? Y'all, it was a work of art in a miracle that we fit all of us in our suitcases in these tiny rooms. It was probably literally like eight feet by six feet. (laughs) The room was so small. And so... We finally get where we're going. We get our luggage carried away and and we finally get it dropped off. The trip home was so much easier. We just left suitcases there and traveled home with minimal luggage. The point of this being, when we carry anxiety in life, it can feel a lot like having all this luggage with you all the time, everywhere you go. It's hard to move through crowds. It feels complicated. It's messy. If it doesn't fit the situation that you're in, you feel like you have to rearrange and adjust who you are. It's exhausting. And it feels like you're always tripping on your anxiety anywhere that you go. It's always in front of you. It slows you down. It can certainly cause you to miss out on opportunities. Our luggage was so cumbersome, we almost missed the takeoff of our train because our luggage was such a headache. If we hadn't had that luggage, we could have just gotten on, enjoyed the journey, right? Have you ever felt like this with the anxiety or concerns or stressors that you carry in life? Or maybe you've been around somebody like this. 
anxiety is no fun and anxiety is triggered by stress so what is anxiety first of all because some of you I can hear you thinking like oh I'm not really an anxious person I don't have anxiety and there are some of you that really don't and that's amazing but all people really do deal with anxiety at some point and we all have developed different ways of dealing with it depending on how our parents taught us or just what our personalities were inclined to and so anxiety is actually it's just a response to stress And it's produced by an uncertainty about the future. So it's basically when fear takes your imagination for a walk. (laughs) So anxiety is different than fear in that um, fear is a response to a present threat, a present danger. Fear is our response to something that's happening now. Anxiety is a response to a real or imagined threat. So do this for a moment. Think about the last three moments in your life, maybe today, maybe yesterday, whatever, where you felt anxious. You felt kind of overwhelmed, stressed out. Maybe you snapped at the kids or whatever because you were stressed. Now think about those situations that had you anxious. Was the anxiety coming out of the actual situation Or was the anxiety coming out of your thoughts about how that situation would affect your future? Maybe you lost a job. That can be stressful. But if you think about it, what makes losing a job stressful isn't actually just the loss of the job. It's the worry that comes from, how am I going to pay my bills? So anxiety takes you into the future. How am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to take care of my kids? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? If you take away the worry about the future and you just deal with, I lost my job, and you have a different response like, I'll be fine. God's going to take care of me. He's already taken care of me. Then suddenly anxiety is not a part of the picture, right? So anxiety is our response to the future and our uncertain concerns about the future. It's when fear takes your imagination for a walk. Now, anxiety persists when concerns run rampant through the brain without engaging problem-solving mechanisms, okay? That's what happens in your brain. Or when your problem-solving gets overwhelmed. So one uh, natural built-in response to anxiety is to begin to solve the problem, right? That's why we quickly go into, okay, fix it. So like, (laughs) ladies, when you're talking to your husband and you're processing all of your emotions, that's why his brain goes into fix it because your emotions actually cause him a little anxiety or he sees your anxiety and he's like, I know how to fix this. We can fix it. Let's find a problem. Let's find a solution. That's how our brains are built. Solutions help us alleviate anxiety because anxiety is concerned about the problems that will come in my future because of this situation. So if I can problem solve ahead of time, I can alleviate that anxiety. Now, anxiety and stress can be minimal or it can be major. It can be as low key as the slow, unsettled dissatisfaction with life that grows the longer you scroll on Instagram and see everyone's perfectly curated home, their perfect makeup that stays all day, their perfect size two figure, and their perfect out, right, we've all, we've all been there. We all have to stop scrolling Instagram at some point. Or it can be major and it can be consuming. A fear of your financial future because you lost a job, fear of your kids' future decisions because now they're teenagers, anxiety around social pressure with that job opportunity and a networking social event, maybe health concerns, whatever, right? Anxiety can come in small and big packages. 
And again, the difference between anxiety and fear is that fear is a response to a present danger, like there's a robber in my house. Anxiety is a response to a perceived imagined threat. If I leave my doors unlocked, (gasps) a robber could get into my house. That's the difference, right? Fear is present, anxiety is future. Well, this is actually good news because if anxiety is future-oriented, that means literally you can fix it with your imagination. Oh my gosh. I, one time I told my husband, he was like stressing out. He was like super stressed out for days, all the stress, all the stress. And he got kind of does this thing where he kind of goes inward, gets real internal, goes quiet and just kind of like hides in his office or keeps his hands busy, does all these projects. And, and if he's quiet and keeping himself busy, I know he's kind of stressing about something. So I finally stopped him one day and I said, listen, If you realize everything you're stressing out about, is it something that hasn't happened yet? Or is it something that you have to fix today? And he stopped, he thought about, he's like, well, most of it, most of it hasn't happened yet. And I was like, okay, stop stressing because most of it won't actually happen the way you're imagining, (laughs) right? Because how many times we're like, oh my gosh, if I run out of money, this is going to happen. Or or if I don't get everything put together just right, or if my party isn't just perfect, all the moms that are going to come, they're going to think I'm the worst thing ever. And then no one's going to want to hang out with me, right? And it never works out that way. People show up, they're like, oh my gosh, your party's awesome, right? So the point being, Anxiety is always future focused and it's fueled by your imagination. So don't get worried. I have a solution for you. Let's keep going. Statistically, the number one mental health issue in the U.S. is actually anxiety. And experts are saying that social media and our insane exposure to information is the number one contributor to that rise in anxiety. I've actually said to my friends before, I'm like, I don't know how my mom let us just roam the streets when we were kids. I grew up in Kentucky in a small town and literally she'd kick us out during the summer, 10 a.m. We'd be out of the house. We couldn't come back until it was lunchtime. And then after that, until dinner time. we literally, and we would run the town. We would, we would go miles. We would go all the way down to the railroad train track. I'm like, hi, prime kidnapping spot, you know, but my mom just sent us over. So I'm like, How was my mom so brave? Was she brave? Or was it just that there was less information out about the dangers that are out there? So social media and our insane exposure to information feeds our imaginations and feeds that rise in anxiety. One in three Americans deals with crippling anxiety. People can feel anxious because their neural circuitry in their brain has become so sensitized that it perceives a threat even when there isn't one. So this has a lot to do with what you're feeding yourself. If I'm constantly reading the news and every little news article sparks like an anxiety response, like um, COVID is at an all-time high. (gasps) Uh, The economy is going to crash tomorrow. (gasps) Russia is sending threats to China. (gasps) You know, and if if I'm constantly consuming information that triggers that... (gasps) response inside of myself, it actually is is sending neural circuitry in my brain. It's sending signals in my neural circuitry that is making me sensitized to anxiety thoughts and anxiety like perceived threats. So then if my brain is programmed to believe that there's threats everywhere I turn, 
then when I'm just living normal life, my brain follows that pattern and will perceive threats with things even when there's not a threat. And you guys have been around people like that. Maybe we've, you've even gone through that where you'll be in a situation and you'll read into someone's comments, um, rejection or judgment or criticism that's actually not really there, right? But we read into it. And that's part of why it's important to guard our brains and guard our minds from the kind of things that we're putting in. So this can be the result, uh, this perceived threat, even when it's not there, can be the result of, of perhaps no one taught you how to calm yourself in a threatening situation, how to think through things and find a solution. Sometimes we just weren't given the tools as a kid as our brains were developing. It can also be the result of someone who was traumatized or abused for years and lived in fight or flight mode and they didn't develop the skills to manage and heal their inner self and their emotional mental response. So if you grew up in an environment where it was a lot of drama, like people were always overreacting and and aggressive or overreactionary response around you triggers your amygdala in your brain which says alert fight or flight be prepared to protect yourself be prepared for safety so if you're if you grew up in an environment where that was a common thing and there was a lot of overreaction then it actually programs your brain and your amygdala to fire more quickly and can program you as an adult to actually have more anxiety Instead, what we need is we need people to teach us how to manage those moments and manage our emotions. That's why it's so important to learn how to manage our emotions. Um, an anxiety response or a perceiving a threat when it's not even there can be the result also of simply your imagination running away with you. As fully healthy adults, we still have the ability to feed our imagination however we choose. If you're watching a lot of scary movies, watching a lot of action-packed stuff, um, your, your, your brain actually doesn't know the difference, FYI, between something you watch on TV and have in your imagination and something that actually happens to you. So that's why sometimes you can think back on something and go, I don't know if that was a dream or if I imagined it or if it actually happened, but I remember when such and such happened. And you don't quite distinguish if it was a movie, a dream, or whatever. That's because your, your mind, your brain, doesn't know the difference between your imagination and your actual experience. That's why you can sit there and, and conjure up, literally dream up a scenario. I've done this so many times to myself. Where you can dream up a scenario, you know, you play out a situation in your head. You're like, okay, if I do this... They're going to respond like this. This is what we'll say. This will be the conversation. This is how I'll feel. And oh my gosh. And you've built like this whole thing in your head. I've done it to the degree where I've literally brought myself to tears playing out a scenario in my head. And I'm like, Janelle, get yourself under control, woman. <laughs> okay, so that's the power of your imagination. And your imagination is what feeds anxiety. So I have a solution for you. Yes, I do. There is good news buried in all of this, okay? Please do not be getting anxious as we talk about anxiety. <laughs> okay, I have good news. Your mind has the ability to completely change your life. I'm going to say it again. Your mind, the way you choose to think, that alone has the ability to completely change your life. Your imagination is the birthplace of your realities. Think about it like this. A dream in your heart. 
Say you always dreamed about being a guitarist. My son, for example. When he was little and Stephen would pull out his guitar, he would come over and he would stand there and he would stare and he would watch and he would observe and he would dance and he would, he'd stay there forever watching Stephen play the guitar. I believe that exposure seeded a dream in his heart to play the guitar. Well, guess what? Now he's 15 years old. He spends hours playing the guitar and he is exceptional at it. But he constantly sets goals for himself. He goes, I saw this musician playing this, so my goal is to learn to play that by next month. Or he'll say, my goal, when you set goals, you literally imagine the picture of it in your head, right? He says, my goal is to be able to hear music and play along, not even knowing what key it is, not even knowing what chords it is in. I want to be able to just train my ear to hear and know what they're doing. That's what he's working towards. But he keeps it ever present in his imagination And so he's accomplishing it because it's in his imagination. He's pursuing it. He can see it. He can taste it. He can feel it, right? You've done this. Another way that your imagination is the birthplace of your realities, the way you see yourself is the way that you will operate. If you, if you've, um, we've all gone through this. You've gone through different seasons of life, seasons where you're really confident and seasons where you're really insecure, right? And if you think about it at the bottom of those seasons, was how you viewed yourself. Maybe you were confident because you had a really affirming boyfriend, girlfriend, best friend, parent, whatever. And then maybe you were really insecure because you you went through something hard. People were were difficult to you and suddenly it, it made you like, oh my gosh. And it changed the way you thought about yourself. Well, at the bottom of both of those situations, totally different behaviors is simply how you think about yourself, right? The fears that you imagine have an impact even on your body and on your health. Your imagination feeds your body. It feeds your emotions. It feeds your health. It feeds your performance. It feeds your self-acceptance. It feeds your peace. Your imagination is so flippin' powerful. Did you know that 80 to 90% of sickness is emotionally rooted, which means it's the result of maybe something you experienced, but even the way you process that experience is captured in your imagination, in your thinking. So it, it started at one point in your mind. Your, your physical sickness may have started at, at one point in your mind and your emotions are become an expression of that and they get stored in your body. And so sickness can come from your emotions, which comes from your imagination, which comes from your thoughts, from your mind. So what if you just simply started changing your thinking? Could you even avoid trauma? Even if you go through hard things, could you avoid trauma? Could you avoid pain? So I went through some difficult situations at a previous employment situation and the boss was pretty hard, pretty difficult, whatever. But as I walked through my traumatizing experiences with him, and I reflected back on them, I realized much of what made those experiences so difficult wasn't necessarily his literal behavior. It was the way I perceived and interpreted his behavior in my imagination. And so like, apparently I really wanted his approval. I didn't know this about myself. I didn't know I felt like I needed his approval so badly. Well, when he continually would not give his approval, he was very critical, very overbearing, jumped to negative conclusions. It 
wrecked me for quite a while. Like it was traumatizing in my body because the emotions were so intense. But as I moved through it and he wouldn't offer any kind of validation, affirmation, and nothing I did could obtain it, I finally had to change something with me because I was like, I can't live in this state of trauma, you know? And when I started changing me and realizing, what if I don't need his approval? What if I literally don't need his acceptance? What if I just know who I am and I literally don't need his approval? My emotional reaction and response to his behavior completely changed. And so then it made me think, wait a second. All that trauma I walked through wasn't actually because of his behavior. It was because of how I wanted, how I perceived the situation, the stories I told myself about him. Like, generally, if you don't get his approval, that means you're not actually a valid whatever. Or generally, if he doesn't like you, that means, you know, he's he's the voice of God in your life. It was, he was a pastor. He's the voice of God in your life. And if he doesn't approve of you, that must mean God doesn't. I mean, like my thinking was totally wrong. And so when I finally realized, holy crap, he's a human. I don't need his approval to be perfectly healthy and confident. And when I shifted me, I shifted my thinking. I shifted my emotional experience and the anxiety that I walked with. So then I literally, by changing my thinking, had less baggage to carry around because I became more confident in who I was. Okay, so let's see what the Word of God says about this. Romans one twenty one says, "Because that they knew, because they knew that God. Wait, sorry. They knew God, but did not glorify Him as God. They didn't worship Him, nor were they thankful. Thanksgiving, and as a result, they became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts were darkened." Okay, there's so much in the scripture right here. They knew God, but they did not worship him. They didn't glorify him. They didn't put their eyes on him and and lift him up. Nor were they thankful. There was no thanksgiving in their hearts. And as a result of the lack of worship and lack of thanksgiving in their minds, their imaginations became vain. Vain imagination is like something that's totally, someone who's vain, it's surface, right? It's not depth. It's not quality. It's not truth. It's vain. It's like, uh, like when you're, when you're, redecorating your house and it's like oh it's just vanity vanity changes that need to happen that means it's like light changes surface changes nothing structural nothing deep right vain imaginations are those flitting imaginations that are built on nonsense they're light they're unnecessary they're not deep they're not structural they're not um weighty important things they're they're vain they're built up in our imagination they're not they're of no substance okay so it says because there was no worship and no thanksgiving as a result they became vain in their imaginations and their foolish hearts became darkened so when we don't anchor ourselves in worship and in thanksgiving our imaginations will begin to run away with us and the foolishness in our hearts gets darker do you see that Your imagination is so powerful, but there's two keys in here that he's giving us, which is worship and thanksgiving, keeping your eyes on God and keeping a grateful perspective. So Philippians 4, this is the passage the Lord gave me for this episode. 4, 6 through 9, do not be anxious for anything. This is a command. Do not be anxious. Why can he command us not to be anxious? I always kind of wondered about that. Like if anxiety and an anxious response is an emotion, I was like, that's not very courteous that he's like don't be anxious (laughs) 
But now that we know that anxiety is a, is a fear response built around an uncertain future, it's all in our imagination, it's completely under our control, then it makes sense he can make this a command. Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer, which is like worship, putting your eyes on God, and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it bypasses everything that makes sense. You're going to have peace that doesn't even make sense. Will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So now listen, this is how God literally built our brain. Scientifically, this is how God built our brain. So I love how science will help me understand scripture better. So when I learned from Dr. Caroline Leaf in her book... Um, that your brain is built of two basic neural pathways. You, all of your thoughts are built on fear or faith, fear or faith, one or the other. Anxiety is, is under fear. Peace would be under faith, right? And so for peace to rule in your heart, he's showing you this is how you stay on that pathway of peace because our brains in our human instinctive survival we can actually lean towards fear without even trying we can instinctively lean towards fear that's part of our survival instincts but the wisdom that makes us human and exceptional beings is that we can bypass a fear response and choose a peace faith response right so listen to this again in perspective of every single thought that you have sitting in a chair faith response uh running away from someone fear response eating food faith response you believe it's going to taste good you believe it's good for you uh not wanting to eat that food probably a fear response you're afraid it's going to taste bad right okay so all of your thoughts come down to faith and fear so now ephesians again says do not be anxious for anything but in everything in all your thoughts all of your doings by prayer and petition with thanksgiving Present your request to God. So you're nurturing faith-based thinking on purpose, according to this. And then, as a result, the peace of God, which transcends understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So God is giving you a life hack here. He's showing you this is how you can protect your heart and protect your mind. So, um, in, let's see, where is it? Finally, brothers. Oh, this is the next verse. Finally, brothers. Here's the life hack continues. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. So he's saying, don't, don't think about not thinking about anxiety things. <laughs> he's like, don't put your mind on what you shouldn't be doing. Put your mind on what is good. Focus your mind on what is good. Look for the positive. Look for the upside. In fact, I found that even dealing with people, I trained myself as a child to give the benefit of the doubt, assume the best. Even doing that is an expression of thinking about what is lovely, thinking about what is admirable. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Love believes all things, right? What that did is it actually protected my heart from many, 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 many instances where I could have been hurt by people, but I wasn't hurt because I simply chose to believe the best. The point that I'm trying to hit here is that your imagination has one of two pathways fear-based thinking or faith-based thinking. Your imagination is 100% the machine, the engine that controls how much anxiety you experience. So here's a couple promises that can feed 
the hope in your heart that can lead you away from anxiety. Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, because if anxiety is built around future concerns, here's a verse for that. For I know the plans I have for you, says God. They are plans for good and not for evil. Plans to give you a hope and a good future. This means even when life is difficult, he can use it for your good. And that means if God has plans for your future already, which we know he does, then even when things are difficult, you lose your job, you um, go through something horrible, you know that God is still in your tomorrow. He's already there. He's there before you ever were. Forgive the, uh, the yard work lawn stuff outside. It's noisy. I'm sorry. Um, God was already in your future. And his plans for you are hope for hope and a future. So even if something horrible happens, tomorrow is not destroyed. God is still in your tomorrow and he still has good plans for you. So he can take even this difficult situation and turn it around. Romans 8:28 says, and we know that in all things, God works the good, works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purposes. So in all things, even those difficult situations, because God never promises we won't go through hardship. He says we will. But even when you go through hardship, we know that in all things, God works that for your good because you love him and you've been called according to his purposes. Psalms 23, 6 also says this was, I remember crying when I read this again, when I was going through healing, it broke stuff off of me. The truth of it resonated so deep in my heart and gave me so much hope. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you guys, do you guys even feel how much just reading these scriptures has shifted even the atmosphere of this topic around anxiety? We don't have to be built around fear. We can be built around hope. And there is so much in the word of God that speaks to your future. So one of the number one ways, and I'm going to get into practical stuff in a second. One of the number one ways that you can build a faith response and deal with anxiety in your life is get the word of God and his promises into your heart to reprogram where your brain goes when you're thinking about tomorrow's concerns, right? I have the choice whether I think about stressful things in tomorrow or not. For example... When we, in 2017, our house flooded in Hurricane Harvey. We had just built our house. We were living here for six months. Some of you guys have heard the story, um, so I'll keep it brief. But we had eight feet of water in our house. And when I found out we had eight feet of water and I realized everything that we owned was destroyed. Literally, Judah showed up to me in Tyler where we had evacuated and he had rubber boots on his feet, dirty clothes on his body, and he had a Kindle in his backpack and that was all he had. And I looked at him and suddenly I realized this is all the possessions he owns in the world right now. And I got choked up and I had to turn away and cry for a moment. I didn't want him to see my face. And then I looked at him and I said, baby, Let's go to Walmart. Let's get you some clothes and some comfortable shoes. So I took him to Walmart and he was reassured. He was comforted. I didn't panic in front of him. I didn't, I didn't let him see my anxiety response or my heartbroken response. But when we flooded, 
I became very aware that my boys' hearts are being programmed by me and by my response to life challenges. Your kids' hearts are being programmed by you. And I said, Lord, I realize that the stories they tell themselves in their heart, in their imagination, in their processing about this experience will 110% determine how good or how bad this experience is for them. How do I protect their hearts from anxiety, from trauma, from this experience? And I was like, God, give me a tool. Give me something. And he kept reminding me, which I realized how much what he told me works with these scriptures and this process I'm about to take you through. He said, generally, he reminded me of Bill Johnson's words. who said, I keep myself encouraged by looking for what God is doing. And so that became my mantra for that whole experience. I said, okay, God, I can do that. I can, I, and God didn't give me some big play-by-play. He didn't give me a big old process. He just said, look for what I'm doing. Just look for what I'm doing. Now, in my, in my actual, like parental wisdom, I knew my kids were going to need to process their feelings too. So each night we would just talk and process. I give them a little bit more information each day about how things were looking at home. I hadn't showed them the video, but when I finally showed them the video of our neighborhood, I kind of guided their thinking and I would allow them to process, oh, my toy, my clothes, my guitar, my things, they're all ruined. What am I going to do? And I processed like, yeah, loss is real guys. And I'm so, so sorry you lost those things. But in my heart, I knew because God had given me a dream before it happened, which gave me peace. I knew the house had flooded. I knew we had lost everything before we knew the condition of our home. And so God deposited peace into my heart to hold on to. And so I was able to offer that to the boys. And I looked at them and I said, guys, listen, God does not steal from us. The enemy steals, but I don't allow the enemy to steal from us because that's not my inheritance as a child of God. So if the Lord allows us to go through loss, it's because he's actually setting us up for more blessing. Because God is a blesser. He's abundant. He's a giver. He's generous. He has no lack. And so we're going to look like a treasure hunt for all the little things that God is doing for us that show us that he is determined to bless us and turn around what Satan meant for evil. God's going to turn it around for our good. And so they're like, okay. And so every day it became, after a while, they didn't need to process the disappointments because they kind of settled into the reality. But every day for months, miracles were happening. Like someone, and I say miracles, it was a miracle to us. God moved through people, really. He moved through people to minister to us. But to us, it was miracles where, you know, I was leaving the house to go buy a new washer and dryer. And I'm literally walking to the car and a giant truck, moving truck, pulls up in my driveway and says, hey, this has come from San Antonio. Such and such person you've been in touch with, they sent these things for you. Where do I unload them? And literally he unloaded the exact washer and dryer I was about to go buy. Little things like that. Or I get a call and said, hey, someone paid off your kid's tuition for the rest of the school year. What? Like little things like that happened along the way that were miracles. And so you better know every little thing I highlighted for my kids. So I was feeding their brains with positive experiences in the context of that loss and recovering what we had lost. So that brings me to what Caroline Leaf's process is for 
going through, um, dealing with, if there's an anxiety or a, a thought that's really crippling to you, this is how you can process past that. Now, there are some things that are so deep, it, can, it takes intentionality to move through it, right? Because maybe we didn't handle it well when we went through it. We were just kind of beat up by it. And so I, I was processing something that was pretty deep in my soul just the other day. And this, literally, it felt like it kind of cut the roots from it and allowed it to float up out of my soul and kind of be released from my mind. I don't even know how else to explain it. But you know how sometimes like it's almost like you get stuck on this loop of this painful memory where it's hard to cut yourself loose from it and you're like, I don't want to stay in that place, but it's like my brain won't let go of it. And that's because you have so many thoughts and emotions and beliefs that have become tied to it. And then there's these triggers that trigger it. And then it's become an extension of you in a lot of different behaviors, attitudes, and beliefs. And so this little process allows you to hone in and just kind of break that down. So the key word you want to remember, it's like an acronym to help you remember the steps, is clutch. You're going to come in clutch fixing your mind here, okay? So clutch. The C is for calm your mind with simple breathing. And that's you want to prepare your mind, kind of like you stretch your muscles before you work out. This is kind of like preparing your mind to access those deeper places in your soul. So it's actually very, very soothing. And it, you can do it in 30 seconds to a minute. Um, but what you can do is just inhale for three counts, hold it for three counts, exhale for three counts, and then hold for three counts. It's called, it's called box breathing or square breathing. Um, so up one side, over is held, down is an exhale, over is held. So you just inhale for three, hold for three, exhale for three, hold for three. And what that does is it actually, it causes your uh, blood to go back to the parts of your brain that regulate your emotions. And so it helps your, your brain calm down and get back in control. Okay, so that's the C for clutch. L is list your most pressing or gripping concern or fear. So list your most, it could be one, two, or three thoughts, whatever. You don't want to take a lot of time on either of these, any of these steps because you can get lost in a rabbit hole of your soul. So you just want to keep it brief. You want to address it, but not go too crazy hardcore. You don't want to spend 30 minutes on any of these steps. Um, second one that, so C is for calm your mind. L clutch L is for list your most pressing concerns. So maybe your most pressing concern is I lost my job. Okay. I lost my job and I'm afraid I won't be able to provide for my family. That would be the gripping fearful thought that is kind of plaguing your thinking. Okay. So write it down. So the third step is understand um, well actually sorry clutch CL the U kind of goes with the L. Sorry. It's kind of an invisible vowel there. So clutch. So T is your next one. Think it through and write it down. Think it through and write it down. So calm your mind, list your most pressing thought. Now think it through and write it down. Think through what that thought is, write it down. And then you're going to ask questions about, about this to help kind of surface the different aspects of how that thought is affecting you. So these questions might be, what emotions do I have as a result? These are kind of different areas that your thought will affect. So Keep this in mind. What emotions do I experience as a result? And you can write like, if you're doing, you can do like a map, a mental map on your paper, or maybe in the middle you draw a circle, kind of like in those brainstorming maps you do as a kid in, in school. In the middle, put that, that thought, I've lost my job and I'm afraid I can't provide for my kids. Write that in the middle. 
And then you draw one line off and draw another circle, which is emotions. What emotions do I have as a result? And then off the emotions bubble, draw however many lines you need to and write the different emotions that you experience as a result. I feel fear. I feel anxious. I feel like I'm not a good parent. I feel like a failure. I feel, and you just list the different feelings, the emotions that come out. The next line you can draw for that is what behaviors do I demonstrate as a result of this thought? So write behaviors in a bubble and then you can write lines. So maybe behavior would be, I find myself snippier with my kids. Another behavior is um, I'm spending hours scrolling online looking for a job. Another behavior is um, I'm finding myself on social media looking for affirmation because I'm feeling like a failure, you know, whatever. What behaviors do you demonstrate? So what emotions do I demonstrate? What behaviors do I demonstrate? What beliefs or attitudes have grown in me because of this belief? So another bubble off the middle one is going to be what beliefs or attitudes have I grown? So maybe an attitude would be, or a belief, a fear of lack, like a belief of lack, a lack mentality. Another one might be an attitude of, um, uh, I don't know. I'm not actually dealing with this one right now. So just think maybe different attitudes, um, an attitude of like arrogance towards uh, judgment, maybe judgment towards people who can't provide for their families or judgment towards people who are struggling financially because you don't want to be like that. And so it makes you judge it because you're afraid of it, right? And so it reminds you, their, their lack reminds you of your lack and your fear. And so it makes you respond in judgment. Um, or whatever. So you think about what are what are your emotions, what behaviors, and what beliefs have grown in me by this belief. Next one would be how do I treat others differently as a result of this belief? Which that could kind of be your behaviors, but it hones in specifically on how you treat people. So that'd be another bubble. How do I treat others differently? Um, am I short-tempered with people? Do I find myself jealous? Am I acting jealously towards people? Um, am I finding myself insecure? in conversations and I feel like I keep conversations off of me or I keep conversations about me, you know? So how do I treat others differently? Maybe am I less empathetic? Am I less compassionate towards others because I'm just trying to survive? So you write those things out and then the last one, oh, sorry, two more. How has this belief made me different than how I was before? This is a this is actually a really important one because when we go through hard things, it can change who we are. It changes who we are, not our core identity, but it changes how we operate and how we feel that we are as a person. And so how has this made me different now than before? And it can be really empowering to remember like, hey, I used to be really compassionate. This wrong belief has made me uncompassionate. So then what it, no longer is it about you as a bad person, it, it, uh, Sorry, it attaches that uncompassionate response to the wrong belief. Not you as a wrong person, it attaches it to a wrong belief. And so it allows you to kind of separate that shame that can come with that new behavior or that new who you are, separates it from yourself so you don't feel like you're stuck there anymore. Does that make sense? So how has this belief made me different? Am I more impatient? Am I more um, arrogant? Am I more whatever? Write those things down. And then lastly, write a list of triggers that may cause this belief to flare up. When I'm around someone who's very wealthy, it makes this trigger 
flare up and I, all my insecurity comes up. Or if I'm around someone who's in poverty, it makes this flare up. If I watch a movie and in the movie they're struggling with their finances, does it make it flare up? You know, is it, I sit down to do the bills and that's a trigger for me. You know, just what triggers, if my boss, if my next boss is to call me into their office, does that become a trigger? So you write down, and the, the thing is you want to write all these things down because in writing it, it actually frees your mind to be able to assess and analyze and get rid of what your brain recognizes is not helpful. So writing it down is super, super helpful. So that first step again is calm your mind with simple breathing, then list your most pressing concern or fear, and then think it through and write it down. And you're gonna write down, ask those questions. What emotions do I experience? What behaviors do I demonstrate? What beliefs have I grown? How do I treat others differently? How has this made me different than how I was before? And what are some triggers? Now, don't don't feel bad if you if you don't. Um, in fact, actually, I will put these this little clutch process in the show notes. So if you can't keep up with it, you can refer to my show notes. I'll put that in there so you guys can see that. So writing all these things down frees it from your soul and frees it from your imagination and allows you to analyze and assess. Okay, so the next step is the C for cl- in clutch. C check out what you just wrote. Look over all of it, review it, read over it, and then make sure it's complete. And by even just reading over it, your body and your brain are looking at it outside of yourself. And that in itself sends a message to your brain. This isn't who I am. This is just something I'm dealing with. This is a problem that's in front of me that I can solve. Just having it written down in front of you is super, super important and helpful. And then the last step is, and again, that fourth step is simple. You're just checking it all out, just reading over it, just reviewing it. Make sure it's complete. And then the last step is happy thoughts to rewire your mind. So clutch is calm your mind, list your most pressing thought, think it through, check out what you just wrote, and then happy thoughts. And your happy thought will help rewire your brain. So it's this simple. Set a timer for one minute. Take one minute to look over your notes. When your timer goes off, call up into your imagination a picture or a memory that is very pleasant. Maybe it's a sunset, maybe it's a rose, maybe it's soothing music, maybe it's how your son snuggled you this morning when he woke up, a sweet memory, whatever it is, call up a happy thought. Because what is that, what that is doing is it literally is now restructuring and reprogramming your brain so now you're looking at these things that were triggers that were bad beliefs bad behaviors wrong beliefs wrong behaviors wrong emo- not uh, just negative emotions you know your brain is looking at those things that potentially had previously stirred up emotions of shame failure all that and you're now assigning a more positive emotion to that experience so basically you're you're unwriting the trauma emotions and you're rewriting positive, capable emotions. And then if you do that, you can do that three to seven times where you set your timer for a minute, look over what you've written and finish it off with a positive thought. Look over what you've written, finish it off with a positive thought. You guys, when I did this, literally every time I read over it, it stirred up less negative emotion in me and I had more peace with the whole situation. And it got this this belief that had been literally looping in my mind 
four years, debilitating, undermining a relationship of mine. Suddenly, I felt cut loose from it. I felt free from it because I was assigning new emotions in my brain to those experiences in a way that was outside of myself because it was all written down in front of me. So this process is like super practical and simple. Clutch. C is calm your mind. L is list your thought. T is think it through and write it down. C again is check out what you just wrote, review it. And then H is happy thought to rewire your mind. Now, if you don't have that memorized, it's okay. It's in the show notes. But listen, you guys, that is such a beautiful tool for healing, anxiety. And once you do this, now that's how you can handle really deep, deep beliefs. But what that will also do is it will program your brain to assign happy thoughts and to interrupt negative thinking, toxic thinking with positive thinking or capable thinking so that you are not so gripped by anxiety. It will literally empower you because if you have a choice, I mean, your thoughts are going to go one way or the other. They're going to go fear or they're going to go faith. You literally can choose. You literally can choose. Are you going to be a fear-driven person or a faith-driven person? One is not more true than the other. It just depends on where you want to spend your energy. You can spend your energy in anxiety and fear, or you can spend your energy in hope and in faith and in confidence and capability. Remember, problem solving is your natural hardwiring way to cope with anxiety. So by focusing on positive things, not that you're negligent of things you got to deal with, not that you ignore negative emotions, process those emotions, write them down, think about them, and then end it with positivity. Like I did with my kids. We would talk about their feelings, let them process it and get it out. And then I ended it with positivity. Maybe it was a scripture of how God will take care of us. Maybe it was pointing to something he had done that day for us. Maybe it was pointing to the things he'd already done for us or whatever. Praying with the boys. Just ending with something positive so that your brain doesn't get stuck in that negative place. Now, Dr. Caroline was saying that this fifth step is actually really important because as you're stirring up and and bringing up all these emotions, all these beliefs, all these thoughts that have held you for so long, the way you don't get stuck in that place all day, looping that place, is you have to end with the happy thought. You have to end with positive thoughts. And that's what enables you to kind of get up from that mental conversation and move into your day without getting stuck there. So guys, I hope this was super helpful. And listen, that process is exactly what Jesus asks us to do. He says, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, which means talking it out with God, thinking it through with God. And then with thanksgiving, present your request to God, present your issues to God, present all those problems to him. And you can do that on your journal. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And then moving forward from that situation, finally, brothers, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, think about these things. God is not just giving you religious instructions. He's literally giving you tools to protect your mind and heal your heart so that you are healthier in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, in your body, and that you don't end up moving through life carrying the baggage of anxious thinking, wrong beliefs, or trauma from the past. So in summary, looking for what God is doing 
is a key to keeping yourself built up and positive, even in difficult situations. Even when you process, take the time to process your emotions and disappointments, landing on positive thoughts is essential to being able to move out of anxiety and into hope. And Thanksgiving is a big part of this. With my boys, we were constantly thanking God for what he was doing on our behalf, constantly. And honestly, that was actually a key to seeing breakthrough in our prayers as well. Remember, anxiety is a real or imagined threat with concern to your uncertain future. So you can replace anxiety with the promises of God that he holds you in his hand. If you need to retrain your thinking, do the exercise that is the acronym CLUTCH. Calm your mind, list your pressing thoughts, think about it and write it down. Ask yourself those questions about how it affects your emotions, behaviors, attitudes, treatment of others, and how you are, who you are, and then what triggers cause it to flare up. And then check everything that you just wrote, evaluate it, look at it outside of yourself, and then assign happy thoughts after you have processed it. Call up happy thoughts to literally rewire the way your brain attaches emotion to those memories. Always keep your eyes on what God is doing and give thanks. Thanksgiving, looking for what he is doing and having a thankful perspective is one of the most powerful weapons and tools in your life. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God and his peace will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Doing these things will prevent you from carrying the weight of baggage, the weight of the baggage of anxiety everywhere you go. You'll literally throw off that baggage, just like when we stuck it in the van and we didn't have to carry it through Moscow. You will literally throw off the baggage you've been carrying by redirecting your thoughts replacing them with God's thoughts and his empowering truths. God has your future in his hands and his plans for you are for good and not for harm. Don't go anywhere. The life hack for this episode is a great tool that will help you with that clutch process. Okay, guys, your life hack for today is super, super simple. But if you wanted to dive deeper into that that clutch process I shared with you in the episode, I actually took a lot of that inspiration from an app that I found that Dr. Caroline Leaf um, has produced. Now, Dr. Caroline Leaf has written a few books, one called uh, Who Switched Off My Brain, Switch On Your Brain, and a number of other ones. She's all about mental health. She has a podcast called Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. She has tons of resources on Instagram. And this app called NeuroCycle, the app that you can download from your app store, is called NeuroCycle, N-E-U-R-O, Cycle. Um, it is amazing. It's basically like a little counselor walking you step by step through your mental process. <laughs> it's super cool. I did it earlier this week just to kind of play with it. And I was like, holy crap, I felt so much better by the end. I was like, it is so liberating to get your thoughts out and process them healthfully. She earned her doctorate's degree from her years and years of research on how the human brain works. And many neurologists and scientists reference her work now when they're teaching in universities and when they're doing other discoveries, she has actually uncovered that you can rebuild your brain. You know the myth that went around for years that you cannot grow new brain cells? 
it's actually not true, which I suspected it was not true, but Dr. Caroline Leaf proved it's not true. And she teaches you how to literally rebuild your brain. Um, People who maybe have gone through trauma, who have been uh, exposed to substance abuse, physical abuse, different things like that, your brain takes a literal physical impact from that. And she gives you tools to literally rebuild your brain by using your mind and your thinking which causes the structure of your brain to change. It's super cool. And I listened to her podcast and read some of her books when I was going through a healing season in my life, recovering from some abuse in a relationship. And you guys, it was so healing and so empowering. When you've been exposed to trauma or you've been an abuse victim, you often can feel super unempowered and like a victim or powerless in your own life. But her approach of taking back your brain and your thought process and the way you think literally transforms how powerful you feel in your own life. I think I've sold you on it enough, but the app is free to download. It's called NeuroCycle in the App Store. And at some point in the app process, you can end up subscribing and paying for it. I haven't gotten there yet. I've gone through the first two days. I haven't gotten there yet. But even just the first two days teaches you some simple principles that you could carry on. And I don't I don't know that I'll use the app for a subscription basis, but just that free portion is super, super worth it. So that's your life hack. Go to your app store, download the app NeuroCycle, and check out Dr. Caroline Leaf on Instagram and on podcasts. Her podcast is called Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. Okay, go check it out. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Y'all share this with someone. We live in a very stressful time. If you know anyone who needs the tools that were shared in today's episode, please send it to them. It's such a simple way to positively impact and maybe even change the life of someone that you know. So thanks for tuning in. I will see you guys next week. And don't forget to go stop by the merch store, javawithjenmerch.com. Buy you some coffee, buy you a t-shirt, and throw up your merch online so I can share it with the rest of the world. Okay, I love you guys. See you next week. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. For those of you who've rated or shared this podcast on social media, thank you. Reading your comments and reviews always means so much to me. Listen, let's stay connected. Come follow me on Instagram at Java with Jen, where you can follow the latest and say hey. It's a really great way to stay in touch. Many of you have also asked how you can support the show. You can make donations through the Anchor app or on Patreon. Or of course, by sharing, rating, and reviewing on social media and iTunes as well. Your heartfelt feedback always reminds me why I do this. Also, we have merch coming. Stay tuned and I'll let you know when it hits the stores. Until next time, remember, you will fulfill your greatest destiny one day at a time.